Hi everyone, I'm Sofia, the founder of Vona and a host of this podcast, Vona Talks. Vona is a consultancy and education platform with a focus on climate, gender, security and intersection between them. In this podcast, we bring unique and underrepresented as well as more known voices of diverse experts, activists and storytellers. Today with me I have Jana Kaminska, who works at the European Parliament in her 9-to-5 or 9-to-6 job. But in addition, she is also involved in national politics in her native country, Poland, and local politics in Brussels. Hi, Joanna. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I think, yes, of course. Uh, I think you have uh, started to introduce me very well. You indicated that I have one job, which is the my job, uh, day job from um, nine to six, uh, working in the European Parliament. I currently work in the part of the Parliament that does uh, democracy support and mediation, and I work at that together with Verkovna Rada. I also have another job, which is uh, mostly weekend and evening job, which is being a, a council member. Um, at the municipal level in Brussels, in the commune of Etterbeck, where I am uh, elected to be a local council member. Um, and uh, for the Belgian party Ecolo, uh, I have been elected in 2018. And for it's been five years, I sit in the city hall representing the citizens of uh, Etterbeck, being one of the few non-Belgians uh, in the local uh, municipalities of Brussels. Uh, showing how, how open Brussels' uh, parties are to include us on the political list because it's not such a uh, evident thing that this is what parties would do. And then I also am active in the national politics in Poland. I am a, a member of the council management council of the Polish Green Party in Poland, which I do mostly online or when I'm in Poland. Uh, so this is the additional job that I have. And then I'm also a painter, so um, I'm a woman of many personalities. That's why I invited you to the podcast. I think it's very good to get to know people who, who sit in big institutions and to get to know their personalities and how do they manage to survive and balance their work, life, head, soul, and um, yeah, analytical and creative mindset. So it's very nice that you shared. I will also include the link maybe to your artistic account in the comments or in the description to the podcast. I think it would be nice to see because your paintings indeed are very interesting and uh, and unique, I would say. Um, but today we're going to talk more about your job and your day-to-day -day job. Um, and since this podcast is a bit about climate, gender and security, you said that you work in the European Parliament on different positions and on different portfolios related to foreign policy and foreign affairs and mainly Ukraine, Russia, and Eastern Partnership. So is there a space for climate and gender topics in your work, or is it more something that climate and gender experts do in the parliament? I would say that there is more space for climate and less space for gender, which is maybe surprising for a person like me that has worked on these issues for over 10 or 15 years now in the different European institutions, 10 years for the European Parliament. 
I would say when I was starting working for the Foreign Affairs Committee, I could see that um, there was much less space for climate issues and much more for gender. And then a lot of things has changed in the last 10 years. I mean, um, you know, climate became so evident that it became a part of uh, foreign and security policy. You cannot detach those and nobody's even questioning it anymore, I suppose. Uh, and there are issues of uh, um, climate migration, you know, the heats everywhere, people are going to move around. You have issues related to um, energy security due to the Russian invasion. I think that was clear that alternative sources of energy are necessary because otherwise we have a huge problem. And not only for countries such as Poland, but for many other countries too, we had to change the way that uh, we are looking at the resources. Uh, then with nuclear, you also have a possible threat when you have wars and someone that is uh, not necessarily, um, you know, a friendly, a, a friendly country or actor to you can really make uh, your security very vulnerable by uh, attacking your nuclear plant or any other plant that you have. So I would say that climate and security are very, very um, strong currently and mainstream to the agenda of security and defense. Uh, and those two are very connected. When it comes to gender, uh, you know, I, I think that in certain point it became a big kind of thing to have us at the table. Um, I, as I mentioned to you some time ago, I have been advisor to the president of the parliament myself, working on Ukraine, Russia, and security and defense. And most of our team, foreign affairs team, was female. So I think it's a, a very clear indication that we are there in many different places. However, when it comes to wars, and in particular Ukraine, uh, I would say that even though there are a lot of women, they are maybe not always in those crucial positions and they are not the ones that are shaping the agenda, which is a little bit of a shame because uh, women are those uh, actors that actually suffer the most from wars and they're at the forefront of wars. And Ukraine is a particular case. Women are fighting, women are, um, you know, like uh, very active and they uh, are very uh, um, brave in, uh, in, in being a very active actor on this war. And I think that uh, it's maybe not so visible if you enter a room at the conference very often, uh, which is on the security and defense topic. It's still very masculine. And I would not say that I see women in the first rows. They are still in those further rows uh, in the rooms where we talk about issues related to war and defense sector, you know, defense um, issues, security and threat. And I wished to for women to be there just as many as men and that would not be even an issue of a gender. That's what I would hope for. But uh, unfortunately, wars are very much masculine and uh, there are therefore more and more security experts uh, that are men. Do you think that the situation has changed a little bit since the past few years? Because you are in foreign affairs and security already for more than 10 years, I assume, even before you joined the parliament. Have you seen any improvements? And maybe also with the case of Ukraine, because I remember myself when the war just started, no one cared about gender. So like I would be as a gender person trying here and there to speak about different things. Also because no one was speaking. So you had to kind of step in and bring some water or share some light to the topic. 
But I feel like currently it has become, or maybe I'm just living in my feminist and gender equality bubble and in my circles, everyone speaks about gender. I think it's a bit, uh, I mean, Ukraine is a very particular case because I think indeed Ukrainian women talk about uh, issues related to war because it's mostly women that left the country. So you are the voice of Ukraine outside and men, uh, most of the men stayed. So maybe this uh, voice is not as heard because they are fighting and they are having some other activities uh, in Ukraine. But when you actually, you know, look at um, the construction of uh, army management, defense ministry, so all these places where women um, could be in decision making, I still think in Ukraine it's not enough and it's not reflecting even those women that are fighting and they are, you know, clearly suffering in the wars. Um so I think that kind of the voice itself is not enough. I think you also need to put women in the places where the decisions are made because we are a different voice. And I think uh, this is something that one should not deny. We bring a different voice to the table. You know, women talk about different issues uh, that are war-related because we see war through, you know, sometimes the kids suffering, sometimes uh, the problems of paying for schools, for a lot of things, you know, like that, uh, I think our multi-management task personalities are kind of trying to manage a lot of issues in the same time. And uh, which means that uh, we think of much more aspects. It's multifaceted the war for us. And I think that this maybe is lacking from the management perspective. Um, and also for kind of caring of the traumas uh, for now and for after. I think that uh, uh, when you have a lot of men in security and defense, it's all kind of focused on winning, which is, of course, completely normal, and having more weapons and, uh, you know, just kind of succeeding. When you have more women, you also think of what is now and what is the consequence for people that are there for now so how do you cater for those that stay how don't you how do you make sure that uh, kids and females and men are not becoming traumatized how do you deal with the question of uh, mobilization how do you deal with the questions of uh, you know lack of clothes how do you deal with different kind of aspects that uh, um, are there so I think this voice is not there when it comes to Ukraine inside because uh, currently the war is uh, more about winning, which is completely normal. And I wish the Ukraine to win and I keep my fingers crossed every single day. But I think that there are so many different aspects that you have to think of that are going to not only impact the life of people uh, today, but also for after. And um and I think that should be part, in a way, of this kind of defense army thinking as well. And I think if you have more women, they would bring this voice too. Especially in the army. Because, I mean, some might argue that Olena Zelenska, the first lady of Ukraine, kind of stepped into this role of a mental health type of post-trauma, post-war trauma response person. But of course, having only one woman and uh, yet another woman doing this type of role and then a president who is a male doing only the military and economics and hard security stuff is a bit exactly what we're talking about. 
but I, yeah, I think that the situation is a little bit changing, but I agree with you that it's still very slow and the changes are just not enough to kind of have and see the impact at the large scale. Like, for instance, a few days ago, I read the news about uh, military form, uh, military uniform in Ukraine being developed for women in accordance with all the health standards and physical standards. And it's not only about size, but also about adapting it to different needs that women have. And our physical bodies are just different than, than the ones from, from males. So therefore, I think this has been kind of a good advancement, but indeed it took us, what, a year and a half or even more already to get there, which, which is a long time. And I don't think we have that time in Ukraine right now. But stepping away a bit from, from Ukraine and focusing on your other activities that you mentioned, which are not less interesting, at least for me, from what I understand, you work on a voluntary basis uh, as a member of the Municipal Council of the Arabic City, as you shared, and then you also represent the Polish Green Party um, in Brussels. Could you share a bit more about what what does your work involve and what do you currently do? Or maybe what has been your successes so far since with Ecolo, you are already for four or five years. So it would be really interesting to listen. What what has it been for you like? It has been a, a super interesting experience to be a non-Belgian politician at the local level. In particular, that actually I did not really come from the political uh, uh, angle when I started because... Uh, I uh, came to uh, politics, Belgian politics, uh, in a very particular way. I just moved into the apartment that I currently live in. When I moved in, I had a beautiful tree, and that's why I wanted to be here. And then uh, I went on holidays. I had some works done in the apartment and came back. And then in front, of, in front of my apartment, there was no tree anymore. It was a huge parking, so all the trees were cut. So that got me really mad. I was like, what the hell is this? What's going on there? And I started to investigate uh, what are the, you know, like a local plans, who decides all these kind of things. And then I asked myself, because I'm one of these kind of females that I'm like, okay, it's very annoying, but why actually I didn't know that, you know? Like, why didn't I know that there was a, a huge work done here and why the streets were cut and nobody protested and, you know. So I started to investigate, which kind of led me to the local Green Party uh, here at uh, at Erbeck. And then I uh, got invited to, to some of the meetings and started to get uh, to know the people. And then they offered to me to run in the local elections in, in my community. So my commune at Erbeck, I have... Uh, quite a substantial number of Polish people here, which um, never had a representative uh, in the city hall. So basically, I decided to take this opportunity and run for the elections. I was not really expected to be uh, elected, to be honest. I was at the number 10 at the time at the list. And I, uh, um, I remember my parents came on the day of the elections and I was telling them, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, let's, I'm going to vote. I'm just going to hang out with the, the friends and have and then I go, I listen for the result of the elections and then we go for pizza. And then my parents were waiting and waiting and I'm like, okay, sorry guys, I'm not coming because I have to go to the city hall because I just got elected actually. <laughs> and they were like, well, you said that you're not going to be elected. I'm like, I know. But um, it was actually a beautiful experience because then I have discovered how open uh, and how amazing are citizens of uh, Eterbeck who 
actually decided to vote most of the women on the lists because uh, in in my party Ecolo we have uh, something which is called zip system so you have mm, men women women men or like women men women men and so on and almost all women went up because it's a preferential system and all men went down because the voters decided to vote more women um voters of our party so this is the way that all women actually went up and and in the first uh, and in the first kind of electoral uh, kind of composition we were actually mostly women from my party uh, apart from three men at the time so that was incredible and I was very impressed by this, you know, because in my own country, okay, we talk about the system of zip where you put women and men. We still have options that you can vote with preference. But I would say that culture is a little bit different and people would always vote for the list. They would vote for the party leader. Very rarely they would go for a, a person. I think now it's changing a little bit in Poland. Uh, but here I was completely shocked that people just do it like this and that can really change everything. And it has been a great experience, uh, I must say. I do it in the evenings. We have council meetings so once a month, usually um, on Monday at 8 o'clock p.m., sometimes running until midnight. Uh, and we have kind of a busy agenda. My party is uh, in the majority here together with the liberals and the socialists. So we have a big majority at Etterbeck. So that means that uh, most of the decisions decided by the majority are actually being implemented. And it has been interesting experience to be in a coalition because that means that you cannot always get what you want because, of course, it's a, it's a issue of compromise. Uh, it has been some beautiful things that I've seen change that, you know, we, we're trying to make the, the commune much greener. We have uh, more kind of spaces for bikes, even though maybe not everyone likes it, less space for cars, which also not everyone likes it. But it's good to proceed according to the values that the party I believe in um, represents. So that has been a good thing. And I found in a way my tribe, if you can say so, people that I really believe in, that they are very committed to the issues that I find are important. And despite different difficulties of being in the majority, I think we managed to to achieve some things why my one big failure is that i really wanted to change the system how uh, we actually collect rubbish and i wanted to have this uh, inside uh, rubbish bins uh, here but then i just realized after three years that it's not possible and it's not easy at all i mean it's not possible possibly it's possible but it's not possible because of the way how the competences are uh, shared at a different uh, level in brussels and that's also coming from the country which is pretty much uh, centralized, maybe Poland, uh, this kind of level where municipalities and the region and uh, different kind of uh, level of powers share competences. And you have to have a lot of different layers uh, of people agreeing to, to the reforms that you want to do. And sometimes there are pretty complicated was new to me um, and now I think it's better to focus on the issues so which are actually in the competence of the commune like putting bike racks <laughs> for example on the streets or uh, trying to subsidize um, with some energy primes those that are in the need trying to support those people that are suffering a lot uh, due to COVID and due to economic crisis so I think we have a little bit of a different focus uh, uh, here um, and fighting 
a lot with uh, plastic, which we succeeded before COVID, then COVID destroyed everything. <laughs> so that was a, a big uh, failure from this point of view, because we really managed to put a lot of even local uh, kind of, uh, you know, law and uh, and focus on getting rid of plastic in uh, in the shops, in the uh, in the restaurants, and so on. And then uh, it kind of got complicated with the sanitary crisis. Um, but there are a lot of things that are I think are amazing when you actually see your local community changing. And I recommend it to everyone who would like to try. And I think we need much more non-Belgians in Brussels, in the local um, municipalities, because we, in some of the communities, are over 50%. And that's one of the reasons why I actually had run last time also, because I said to myself, okay, I live in the municipality, which is uh, over 50% are non-Belgians. How is it possible that at the level of decision-making, we are not represented I mean, we live here. Some people have lived here all their lives, 30, 40, 50 years. This is their home. And uh, we should be able to kind of give our views and uh, try to create it too. Because otherwise, of course, the Belgian colleagues, they would tell you, oh, why should we take your uh, position into account if you guys don't really care uh, what we are doing here? You are not voting in the elections. You are not participating. You are not coming to the public consultations. So actually for us, you're like almost not existing. And I think it's also true, like looking at the other side. And I do lack this input uh, from uh, the kind of international community uh, because many people indeed are just uh, using Brussels as a stop over place instead of like really feeling that it's a place that you can also co-create. So that's what, I, what well, that's why I decided to co-create it to the extent I can. Um, it's not always easy, but I'm trying, but I really think everyone should try. So this is on my local activities here. Indeed. Um, Quite impressive that you from like a cut tree to to <laughs> to a politician and someone who actually manages to change quite a lot of things at the local level so is the tree replanted again in front of yeah, you well, or a small one maybe in future you know that's another project uh, for another project you need to yes. still do <laughs> indeed I mean, we do we do a lot of uh, here we have this entire project of uh, regreening so you we try to regreen the commune and i think it is it has become greener, but it's also related to the fact that during COVID, a lot of people saw how annoying it is if you don't have green spaces around. So from this point of view, it has helped. Um, Plus with the heat as yeah, well, like when it's so hot, having no trees. Yeah. And I think this so this is still a, a big issue, like, you know, to, to, and to change the mentality that, okay, if we take three parking slots and put five threes, trees there, it's still much better for the future than having these parking spots. But uh, there is a lot of fight, of course, with those that think it's horrible that we didn't have parking places in Brussels. But then again, it's a question of values, as I keep on saying, you know, for me, uh, coming from green uh, parties uh, and uh, very much embodying this green mentality like for me cities to certain extent should be closed by from cars also to improve the air pollution which currently is really huge and uh, 
And this kind of clearly helps if you make some zones which are car-free and improve the public transport and make it uh, affordable and open and accessible to all. I think this is something that we need to do. Luckily, Brussels is not such a huge city. So basically, you can easily also commute from one place to another uh, by bike or, you know, even by uh, by food. But I think we, we still need to think about the future from this point of view. I mean, uh, the trees are changing a lot, as we could see, and we should really uh, invest in that for the for the future. So this is on my local Brussels politics, so which had... Yeah, this kind of... Act- and the Polish one as exactly. well. Exactly. So the kind of a local Brussels politics, I would say, in a way brought me to the Polish politics because, of course, I started to be much more interested in the Polish Green Party as well, which is a small party uh, relatively in Poland, currently in the coalition with the EPP liberals and, and uh, well, mostly and civic movements, let's say. Um, and a year and a half ago, I was elected to the to the management council of the party. We could call like management, the guiding party strategic uh, council, which um, decides for many things in the, in the in the party. So I have been doing it mostly online and whenever I can do it when I'm in uh, in Poland, it's not always easy. And I think that uh, perhaps national politics are even more frustrating than the local because at least locally, if you decide to put some, uh, you know, biking racks, you know, that in three months you maybe manage to have them. Um, and the national politics is much more complicated, especially for the small party. Uh, but I think this is also changing. You have a lot of uh, people that wish to have a Green Party on the political scene in Poland. It's not a very uh, traditionally typical party for Poland. So this is like a new party on the rise. And I hope that the Green Wave will hit Poland as soon as well, because this is the only alternative for some a proper uh, kind of... Uh, Hard, uh, hard kind of old parties that we had for years, um, but uh, it takes a long time to kind of grow a new party as well. So and money and time and for the party which does not have maybe as much resources, it's very complicated. But uh, I always like to put my heart where my values are, and uh, I said to myself that at least if I give my free time and energy to something political, it better be something that I believe in. So both when it comes to Ecolo and the Polish Zieloni party, I I just do things in things that I believe in. So then I don't feel that uh, I kind of, you know, did something wrong. Uh, that's so why. So you're able to sleep at night indeed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So maybe a bit of following question on on what you just said and shared with us. Um, I do not often meet women who are running as candidates in political parties. And okay, you explain your story with the tree, uh, but it it still takes an effort. I think a lot of us could like just complain, oh my God, the tree was cut, what would I do? And then maybe go talk to someone and then leave it at there. But you actually decided to go forward and started joining the party. And first it was the local one, now the national one. And I mean, who knows where you're going to be in a few years. I, All from one I, tree, I, you see? <laughs> in, in the, one tree has, has moved so much. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do not expect you to share right now that you're going to run for the elections, maybe to the European Parliament or even national politics one day. 
but what would be some sort of advice recommendation, especially being a woman, because you, you've shared, for instance, with Ecolaw and the city council, your meetings are at 8 p.m. on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Not many women would be able to afford themselves to stay from 8 p.m. until midnight and then the next day go to another job and kind of even me myself sometimes I do struggle at 8 p.m. already too and I do not yet even have kids or anything like that to to stay connected and to stay viral so what drives you and do you have any besides painting of course (laughs) I think you have to think what kind of um, makes you to want to change if you want to change something and then uh, what are your values and if it's worth it at least I think for a woman um, the fact that you want to bring a change and it's maybe the some kind of cause it's mission driven changes a lot that's how I would see it I think we females don't have such a huge ego problem that we want to go to politics to, you know, to go and talk and to listen to our voice or to be recognized or to be validated. Most of the females that I've seen in politics, like really doing the hard work, are those that, you know, had kids and basically saw that the system is not working the right way, got frustrated about something that they saw and they wanted to change it, that they thought, okay, like this is done not in the right way at the political level, there are not enough women, so they are taking wrong decisions. I cannot uh, have, uh, you know, life that I want or the school that I want or the community that I want uh, because actually you know, like they are not enough representative of my own sex. So it's not done for me. That's how I see it, that most of the women entered because of that. Um, And this is kind of the main driver. Then if you start, you kind of have some support network in the party, which would kind of promote you and help you out. What I see uh, as a problem is that a lot of women politicians are on a burnout quite fast because we really put our hearts into the cause. So we, you know, we really want to to bring this change. If you say that we bring this change, we really put everything in this change because we think that we came here with a certain promise to ourselves that we want to get a better school uh, surrounding or, you know, have no, uh, like, better rubbish management system or whatever. And then you put everything to change it. And then if it does not happen because you see that you are in the coalition, your party does not have enough power, the system is complicated, you kind of get very, very and you don't want to do it anymore and I think from this kind of we need a little bit more support for females that's how I see it that we don't have enough protection for female politicians in politics but I would encourage every woman to try um, because we need to change and I see that there is a change if you have more females and for example you don't like uh, even at work I see it the moment that uh, you have more females with small kids that would tell you, okay, I'm sorry, we're not doing meetings at uh, 6 p.m. because this is a time I need to pick up my child from uh, from a school or from the kindergarten. And if you have out of uh, 10, 7 women that are going to say that, then you're not going to have meetings after 5. And that's it. And there is not even going to be any discussion about it. You know, it's just like a normal thing that we have a different... Uh, um, ability of working and maybe we can say okay no problem then possibly I can connect after 
after 8 or 9 p.m., after I have put my child and maybe someone takes care of it, I can connect for half an hour to, to kind of, you know, have a short meeting to wrap up. But otherwise, uh, no. I mean, we have to find different ways of, uh, of uh, functioning. And uh, for us, community is very important and support network is very important. So you see that more of us in politics and security uh, in the areas that maybe traditionally were very male is changing the entire working um, atmosphere and working dynamics because uh, we we are the one that uh, want maybe more flexibility when it comes coming to the office because we need this flexibility to manage all our tasks that we usually do in our lives and um, because we are mostly multitasking I don't know one single woman that is not multitasking I mean and thinking about 15 different things to manage the household manage different things you know things uh, how to plan the holidays how to do things and it's a huge responsibility and I think we it's underestimated how much energy it takes from us and I don't think we should be uh, working in the same time and in the same way that so far we are because we are really, really exhausted. Females are really exhausted, much more exhausted mostly when it comes to the, the work than men because we manage so many different things in our heads. And I see it very, very clearly. And uh, if you find a great support network for women, you can see that they are much more prone to join politics and want to be part of it. And uh, this, is what, uh, this is what I think we just uh, need. So I'm very happy that you have invited me because I want to say to all the females that, you know, I mean, you try, you bring other women that are great. This woman become your friends. You kind of build community. You try to change. And it's a great satisfaction to, to, to be surrounded by these people. And there are many men. I don't want to exclude here men and talk only about women that are very supportive of females in politics. And they are very supportive partners to kind of, you know, take the burden on themselves and uh, or be just not even the burden, just take their parts or sometimes being the major parent to allow a female um, to shine and I don't think that still it's something normal. And for many, many decades, it was always normal that we did it for men. And uh, it should be completely normalized that it's the other way around too. So we only not only need a network and support networks amongst the females, but we also need those men that are just going to help us out. It's interesting to hear from you about this because I feel like as they say, you cannot be what you cannot see. And uh, having you here sharing your experience and maybe like all the women who joined politics, the first, they kind of were able to figure out all those problems that probably no one ever saw or knew about before. And I do hope that by now, as, as you said, with many more women joining politics, we will have the system changing. Also an amazing example to see how representation which a lot of us say it's not enough to reach gender parity or gender equality. But representation could be that first step that once you have more women out there, they will start seeing more problems and then they will start kind of uncovering and opening this Pandora box of different things that are not working in the system and start changing the system from within rather than yeah, com complaining about, about the cut trees from, from the outside. So... Thank you again for, for doing what you're doing and for sharing this with us and for encouraging. 
I did have myself some political thoughts here and there, and they are not dead yet, but I have way too many fears indeed by being a woman myself and uh, being non-Belgian as well, joining Belgian politics. So I think that what you have been sharing has spoke to, at least to me, and I'm pretty sure to many of us listening out there. Thank you for your time and for sharing with us your story and your vision and your values. Do you have any last message to, to the listeners, even though I feel like there were already so many messages shared out there, but maybe like last two sentences that would, with which you want to leave the listeners afterwards? I would say that uh, it's always good to try to enter politics and see if you are very frustrated with it to try if it's for you. Because even if it's not for you, there are a lot of other things to do. But if you try, maybe it is for you and maybe you bring a change and it's going to be a great experience and a great satisfaction. And I think that we keep on saying that politics are dirty, that are bad, you know, there are a lot of bad people. But actually, we choose those people and we can be those people. Uh, so if you want the politics to be better, you try to be one of these people that are better or try to get to know those that you vote for and make sure that those are better people, you know, like try to do politics and vote in a different way. And uh, because a small decision changes everything and it's not easy for female to be part of it. But really, I feel it very strongly that the more of us are here the more community we create. And this is a strong support community, especially I see it very much in green parties. I don't know how it's in other parties, but I think it's a great tribe and I'm very proud to be part of it. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you for your honesty and for inspiration. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone and to you. That was it for this episode. Now we would love to hear from you. Let us know who should be our next guest. Maybe it's you? To get engaged, go to our website, buona.international, where you will find a box to share with us your ideas and requests regarding next episodes. Also, subscribe to our monthly newsletter and follow us on social media. Talk soon!